This is the Tribe Mastermind, where we talk business, purpose, and passion with your hosts, Jordan Muela and Steve Welty. If you're ready to shift into a bigger future, then this is the show for you. So plug in, buckle up, and get ready to be. How you doing, man? <laughs> I'm good, man. How you feeling? I am living good. I am stoked to be back in the saddle with you. It's been a minute since we talked. I know, man. It's been too long. Uh, well, we saw each other a couple weeks ago, but podcast true. style, right? True, true. And we could have done one live in person. That, that might have been. Yeah, that would have been cool. Denver was, uh, we had a tribe retreat in Denver, a two day. I think it was our best one yet. I think so too. Um, first day, you know, we had leadership talk. We had Danny speak, uh, break down all of our numbers. If for people that haven't had a chance to look at competitors books, it's one of the best exercises that I've ever been a part of. Um, there's something about just seeing the reality of your numbers versus maybe a benchmark versus maybe your peers in the room mm-hmm. that brings things really real and brings things to light and the color. And then you can actually, you're forced, you're faced with reality and then you can have some decisions to make, uh, which is really, really, you know, motivating. I feel like for me and you, that's something that's almost somewhat easy to forget having been through that exercise before, but I was reminded in the room what that dynamic feels like for the first time to put your numbers up there in public in a group setting. It can be invigorating. It can be, um, what's the word? What am, what am I looking for? There's, there's just, there's, there's lo- almost some, some nervous anxiety about it. And yeah. in some cases there's some relief. And in other cases, there's some beautiful self-awareness that comes out of it just about the opportunity of what's possible. And I love the trend that I think our industry is moving into. If you go into a lot of other industries, people very f- freely talk about, you know, I did two and a half million in revenue this year. Um, my EBITDA is this. And when it's not presented as an ego play, Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. it actually like really helps the conversation. Um, you know, and so I think there's been first few years in Narva, I never heard anyone talk about anything. And now people are like, Oh, I did 2 million last year. And there's like a hush over the room, like or something, (laughs) but you know, it's just like, we're wading into the the water where I think, uh, the conversation needs to be had. It's tough, man. It's like this this whole idea of you are not your business. If we can disassociate the two and make it less ego driven, the stakes are a lot lower, and there's just more a lot more consideration and openness to the possibility of learning, regardless, without having to have some judgment attached to it. Yeah, yeah. You are not your business. I just came from uh, Darren Hardy's High Performance Forum. Oh, wow, bro. I wanted to ask you about this. Give me the deets. Yeah. It was insane, man. It was, uh, there were some heavy hitters in the room. Um, Dave Lindgren, like the guy that started Remax. Kevin wow. Ortner from Renner's Warehouse. Really? Yeah. Um, Lewis Howes, this like big social media guy. There's just like all these people in the room and uh, <laughs> it's hard for me sometimes. My e- I like two and a half days, I left like with a lot more ego than I went in. Like nobody's fault. This is like me, right? It's just, yeah, it's yeah. just like people just crushing in business, like doing this, this, 
$800 million, you know, 50 million, like all this stuff. And, um, I've, I've kind of went it down a different path where I've been, uh, you know, more focused on some other things like, um, you know, taking time, more time off. And it's just like, I'm in a, I'm in a different, you know, space in my life. But, uh, I tried to take the good and leave cause I, I don't want to lose my identity. Like that. I'm that I, I feels really working well for me, but I, I did get caught up a little bit in, in, in some of the, Oh man, I got to like <laughs> I'm doing music now. I got to like, I got to start a new business, <laughs> like all this stuff. But, uh, but no, but uh, luckily a couple of days out, I came out of it and, and the, the, the content was just incredible. It was incredible. So very good. I highly recommend it um, to anyone out there. It's, ex- it's expensive, but. Can I ask what the financial commitment was? Uh, I think it was 10 K and it's a two and a half day um, thing. So yeah, that just brought that to mind that you were not your business. Cause I sat there thinking sometimes like, Oh man, I'm not, you know, I'm not enough. I'm not doing all this stuff, but I was, I was proud of myself because I, I was able to leave and, and still stay in my space where I am, but also like have these tools at my disposal um, that were really cool. So, so would you have, with your current priorities and frame of mind that you had over the last couple of months, would you have signed up for that? Or did you sign up when you were in a sl- slightly different frame of mind? <laughs> yeah, great question. I signed up like nine, 10 months ago when I was in I a different frame of mind. And honest, honestly, like, I was thinking about that. I was like, man, I kind—I of, was looking forward to it actually a lot, but I was kind of thinking like, it, it's not, I wouldn't have signed up for it. Like if I was like a month out or something, but I'm glad I did. Um, you know, I just, um, you can take the good and leave, you can take what you like and leave what you don't like, I think. And so, so it, yeah, it was very impactful. So what resonated with like, what were the, some of the key takeaways when you say great content? Like what was... Yeah. What stuff yeah. So one of the things that came up in day one was just um, how business is 10% what you do and 90% marketing, mm. you know? And, um, and like, uh, he's just showing all these examples of like Dasani water is the number one water. And it's like, the water is not that good. It's because of the marketing McDonald's foods crap, Like you know what I mean? It's just like great marketing. Um, so, and I've always been interested in marketing. So I've been listening more to marketing podcasts and books and stuff. Cause like, I really feel like you've got the marketing down and that was something I was happy about. Cause I brought the marketing in house and, um, that was something he preaches big time is like, there's two things you don't delegate. One's the checkbook and the other is the marketing sales and the marketing. But, um, but yeah, that was one, one kind of like high level thing that came out of it. That was really cool. Um, you know, three keys to success he kind of broke down was like expert counsel, the reference group. And this is where I really appreciated this. And this is where I think people get a lot out of tribe as well is the reference group. You walk at the speed of your group. Mm. I came out of that with like way higher ambition, way higher belief in myself. Like I literally left like, holy shit, I'm going to like be able to do this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. because so like you walk at the speed of your reference group um and then three is strategies and systems and i think we spend all of our we just collectively maybe as management company owners spend all of our time in strategies and systems and we're very usually cheap on expert counsel and reference group can also struggle because a lot of times we're just like at the narpam event where it's like everyone's there you know mm-hmm 
Mm. There's not like maybe a core group of people that are saying, Hey, we're going to go somewhere. And this has, we have high ambitions and you know, who's coming with us, you know, I feel you. So in some ways, as I hear these, these are familiar concepts that I'm sure we've both heard before. Was it seeing, was it the contextualization of seeing it being said with a level of priority and from a caliber of, of, of group that made it particularly impactful? Yeah, hundred percent. The thing is, there's no new ideas, right? Like totally everything. And he even said that up front. He's like, you're probably not going to hear like anything like brand new, like very few things. But he kind of grew uh, drew this chart, which was really like eye opening. It's like you come, you start here, and then you come to something like this, and you go up, and then you leave, and then you go way down, right? Like over time, and then you you come back, you go to something else, you go back up, and then you go down again, but your plateau is higher. Mm -hmm. So it's all about rinsing and repeating. Mm. It's all about like he's like I even leave this, and all we we slide. You know, we slide in um, our ambitions. <laughs> My son's like bashing up the door. I love uh, it. We, we slide at our ambitions. We slide at our focus. So um, I think like strategic coach, tribe, where we're meeting like regularly, that's why it's so important. It's not necessarily like the Bob uh, Bob and tribe I was talking about. He's getting me to do, uh, what was it? Some email tool. I forget what it is. Um, I don't know. But it, that's not what's important. But anyway, he's trying to get me to do something. And I'm like, no, no, it sounds good. But I don't think it's the right time. So I had to come back like three or four times. So finally, I'm like, all right, I got to do that. And it's like hearing the same thing over again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, makes sense. I think there can be some frustration of like, well, I've heard it before. I should have implemented. I find that there are ideas that I can hear, internalize, get really passionate about, and yet still have to relearn. There are some mm -hmm. lessons that you have to relearn. And every time I relearn it, I get even more committed to it. And I want to like not judge myself for forgetting, just realizing that every time I do rinse and repeat, like you said, like the baseline of it getting really inculcated goes up. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he's been around the success industry. So like he has a lot of good content, but um, it's not so much even the content as it is, I think, just like the the motivation in the room um, and then just getting that content in front of you. Uh, which is new and different because that was one of my things and my things for next year. I love NARPM, but I'd said I was going to kind of focus more on things outside of our industry for this next year, just to like see what else bubbles. That doesn't mean I'm completely going to like not go to anything property management, but just like spend more time in other arenas to see what can come out of it. You know? Mm -hmm. Man, uh, the thing that you said about the expert advisors really resonates with me. What I find is that if I'm just working within my own paradigm, I'm going to get incrementally better 20, 30, 40%. It's the introduction of ideas and people outside of my paradigm that completely breaks it and really has totally led to exponential growth that I know, even if I was making progress at the fastest speed possible, if it was just me, was never going to happen because I kind of switched tracks or switched directions because of ideas that I just wasn't going to self-generate. Yeah. Yeah. And he talks about, you need someone to question your answers. Mm -hmm. And question your, question your questions, right? Well, question. Yeah. You could question your questions, but also like, you know, question your answers. He talks about, and I really resonated with his, he was talking about questions. And that's why I appreciate about you, Jordan, you have some, I think some training in generating the right types of questions or maybe experience. Cause 
he was talking about Albert Einstein kind of ripped off Lincoln in the quote where he said, if I had one hour to solve a problem, I would spend 55 minutes coming up with the right question. Mm. And it was funny. So I was like coming off this ego, you know, like ego cleanse the last like day and a half <laughs> where, you know, I was feeling like good, but I was also feeling kind of like, you know, just when you, when you're clear and you've got a direction, I, you feel good generally as a human, something like starts kind of pulling at your foundation of like where you're going, then you start to feel uneasy. So that's kind of the best way I could describe it. And, uh, so I'm kind of searching for answers, thinking and whatnot. And uh, the question I came up with this morning is, what will make you the happiest? Hmm. I'm not saying that's the best question or the right question, but I think it's getting closer. You know, if I'm making decisions, like, what will make me the happiest? Like, chasing money in a vessel that maybe is not, like, super exciting to me or whatever, like, probably is not going to do that. So, um, coming up with the right questions, man, I'm like really fascinated with that. (laughs) I'm with you. I was reading a book called the undefeated mind, I believe it was. And this guy had a really interesting framework for answering this question about happiness that so often comes up. I actually don't love that question about the undefeated mind by Alex Lickerman. I don't love that question because my assumption is that happiness is derivative of um, of meaning yeah. and that meaning is derivative of impact. Like if I'm doing work that is impactful towards what I believe to be why I was put here onto earth, then meaning will come from that. And, from, and, and in the context of meaning is where the happiness flows from. I like... So impact is, is um, what would be the most impactful? What would be the most impactful towards why God put me here on earth and what my purpose is as a human? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So you're saying happiness, the question of what will make me the happiest, it seems to imply that my happiness is going to come from something outside of myself. That's another way I look at it. Um, hmm. That could be hmm. so. So it could be a failing question to start. It could be like, what could put me in the best position to be happy? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, what well, I mean? like it's not a good target. It doesn't seem like a great target in and of itself in order to get, in order to get happiness, right? Like, it, what would make me the happiest? It could be constant stimulation. What can make me the happiest? Money and sex, you know, like right, like, right. So here's another big, uh, high level concept that came out of it that. Um, Again, nothing new, but like just important to hear with exponential change and just like we've all seen like those presentations and just like how fast things are moving. Um, You know, good equals dead in business, Mm. right? Like we've talked about that in like the property management industry. Um, Some people in tribe, we've had conversations about the people that are going to get slaughtered are like the average in the middle. You know, um, the bad for sure, but the average, the good, great equals survival and excellent equals thrive. And um, I think, you know, to a certain degree, that might have always been true. But um, what, what comes up for me with that is like when we're making decisions in leadership team meetings or quarterly annuals, like, oh, well, why do we need to do that? That's working fine. It's like, OK, well, you know, is that make us is this making us great? Like are we going to rest on our laurels and, you know, 
risk annihilation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the, it's the age of the customer and you got to be remarkable these days. The, the bar of like, there was this quote from someone that said like, what used to wow someone 10 years ago doesn't even get a yawn today. You know what I mean? <laughs> Advantage is always competed away. There's always a regression to the mean. <laughs> right, right. So just hearing stuff like that, you know, um, was, was pretty was pretty cool. Something that's been kicking around in my brain is this idea. It's related to the own the outcome principle, which I'm really committed to. But the, the corollary concept is never blame the customer. Mm-hmm. And that's not the same thing as the customer as saying the customer is always right. That's more about, for me, what I am best served by is never blaming the customer. Because as soon as I blame the customer, I'm, I'm robbing myself of the opportunity to be fully accountable to improve. And I see folks going down a really dark path when they start blaming the customer and not doing focusing on deeper inquiry about what generated that outcome or that negative interaction, including having taken on the wrong customer in the first place. Yeah. Or how about just blaming anything outside of yourself? I, Fair. I, I, lo- I love the quote, uh, I am the only problem I will ever have, but if I'm the only problem, I'm also the only solution. And, and yeah, I mean, blaming the customer, I mean, that, that seems like a not, not a very profitable exercise. <laughs> And what, to unpack that, like we've all we've all done it, right? Like, right, well, right. I, told, I told the customer, I sent them the thing, I gave them instructions, they didn't listen, they didn't, blah blah blah. That's why that happened. Like, there's no fruit and value in that, and that's why, like, the own outcome is basically a way to say, well, I'm going to reduce the number of ways by which things may break or the the potential failure points, including customer initiated failure points. Yeah. I've got an even shorter quote than the one you just said, and that's from a, an early mentor of mine. Two words, baby. Blame yourself. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Easy. <laughs> I know. Blame yourself, man. I love it. You know, one of the best exercises I rec- recommend any company owner do, however they can do it to, to whatever extent of industry they're in, but like property management, was buying this house in Kansas City. Because I'm working with another property management company as a client. And it's so eye-opening, man. Dude. It's like I've stepped into the shoes of my actual customer. I don't have to like... This is fascinating. Yeah. It's crazy. Like like a couple things that just come to mind so far in my experience is like, you know how we we always... It's in the contract. You didn't read the freaking... My customer's a freaking idiot. It's like, (laughs) hey, I'm not an idiot. I didn't read the whole freaking contract. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, and I'm just watching like kind of how they're handling things. And it's really interesting. Like the sticking points on the fee. So uh leasing fee, like like high leasing fee, like no way I'm not paying month, half a month's painful, like you know, management fee, like I actually don't even really care about the management fee, like 10%. Like it's more like the leasing fee and then charging me for maintenance on top of like what the maintenance costs, sticking point. You know maintenance, I mean? maintenance markup. Maintenance markup. Sticking point. So like, um, and then like lease renewal. Uh, someone was telling, I think it came up at Tribe. It was a good idea. Like stop calling it a lease renewal. Like call it like a inspection because people don't want to pay for a lease renewal, but they'll pay for an inspection. You know what I mean? Like an annual inspection um, instead of. Wow. Like interesting. A, yeah. P- just the packaging. 
Yeah, yeah, packaging. So, and some other good good things have come out of that, but it's been really helpful and really, uh, really interesting. I'm curious, like, why are you so hung up on the leasing fee relative to versus the management fee? Like, is that, what's the pain there? I think the psychology is a large out-of-pocket. A management fee is almost like a finance plan. You know, put put it on layaway. Yeah, yeah it's I, like I yeah, it's gonna pay you a little bit like each month. The leasing fee is like a big knock to the wallet, right? Hmm. I mean, the, certainly that is the the wisdom that I and I'm sure you've shared with others as well. Is if you're gonna give up somewhere on fees, give up on the one time, not the recurring. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I'm a big fan of low leasing fee, um, higher management fee. Did they did they come down? How how you say these are sticking points, but were these things they're willing to negotiate? No, I didn't try to beat them up on it. I was when I was looking at two or three different companies. Um, the two that didn't make it were like the ones that had the high mark maintenance markup and the high leasing fee. Besides, like, you, yeah, have you signed the contract? Are you in? Yeah, I'm in contract. Did, how did things go after? Like, did, was there continuity of the quality and level of service, or did things kind of go a little a little silent after? It's only been about a month. Um, it's been okay. It's been good, I would say. So good. <laughs> Invoking your quote from before. Right. Good. Got it. Right. Good. Okay. We're clear. Right. <laughs> right. But um, but yeah. So just really interesting. I think with marketing, you know, Darren talked about like empathy is so huge. Like being able to have empathy, being able to understand where your customer is going through and, uh, and create programs and stuff um, around that is, uh, is kind of where you get a lot of ROI. Yeah. Hmm. I dig it. I think I need to sign up for my own service. You're making me think I need to like secret shop myself and sign up for my own services. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a great, I got that on my to-do list, but, um, but yeah, man, um, it was a good experience. Uh, tribe. So the Denver meeting back to what the, we were breaking down the meeting. So that first leadership talk that I gave, um, that JG had kind of taught me, uh, the concepts of was like, there's, there's three different stages of business, kind of like the growth stage, the impact stage, and the legacy stage. And they're also kind of derivative of um, your stages of leadership. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think what I got out of that, even just kind of like teaching it again, was, um, you know, kind of like that podcast you sent me, becoming more of less of like a... Oh, I come in on Tuesdays and I tell people like how to do it and come up with the best ideas. It's like taking that back seat and helping people come to the the answers with better questions. And for anyone that we should link that if we can in the show notes that Marcus shared in mm. podcast you sent me, Jordan, was just phenomenal. Can you break that down a little bit? Yeah, hundred percent. So I actually I invoked this. I recorded a podcast inspired by that and, and invoked it. But oh, nice. the basic premise of what I took away from the podcast is Marcus is on Ryan Hanley's podcast. Ryan's a dude that I followed for some time. And Marcus is talking about 
communication in the context of leadership and what it looks like to actually facilitate change, kind of answering this question of how do we get things done as entrepreneurs? We can obviously do them ourselves, but that's really limiting. To graduate beyond that involves communication and leadership. And he specifically unpacks the art of allowing somebody to come to a conclusion on their own, as opposed to telling them what to do. Steve, you're great at telling people what to do. I'm great at telling people what to do. Feels good, easy, in my wheelhouse, very comfortable. At the same time, at best, what I'm going to get from that is a, is a, oh, okay, got it. Yes, understood. And they'll do it, which is great. But what we're missing is the like, oh, whoa, I get it now. Like this big epiphany that is so much bigger than the specific context or instructions of what we're talking about. That is the fuel and the fodder for personal growth. And the methodology that he kind of unpacks and facilitating that is really around not walking in, believing that you have the answers and being truly committed to listening such that you can probe what where somebody else is, is at with them in order to help them uh, arrive at the answer for them, which may be different than what I think the answer is. Man, you just helped me understand that better. That was that was a great breakdown. You don't going in with beginner's mind, maybe mm-hmm. right? Like you don't have. So that's where I've been wrong because I've been going in thinking I already know, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to say it. So maybe I have a little bit more to learn. I got to go back and listen to that one again. Um, seating beginner's mind a little bit and seeing what. Because I, I do try to do that, especially the last couple of years, where unless I feel really strongly about something and a decision's already been made, I don't step on the decision. Like if I look at a marketing piece and it's like, oh, it's already been printed, and I'm like, oh, I wish I would. I'm like, okay, cool, you know, look, yeah. looks great. You know what I mean? Like totally. My feedback like may or may not even be right. You know what I mean? True. <laughs> True. <laughs> That's really what it is. It's like there are more than one way to do things. And the question I have to ask myself, coming back to this WWJBD, what would Jeff Bezos do? I know that even when I'm really confident about what is right, what I can be really clear on is that there is a more competent person than me that would make a different decision that would also be right. I've got to at least acknowledge that. There is a smart enough, competent enough person that would make a different right decision in that moment. And that I try and invoke that at times to help me get off of this illusion that I have the answer. And so at best, I'm just leading people to come to my answer. Yeah. And if you're listening to this and you're like, man, I couldn't do that. My people are like, no good. Then you got the wrong people, right? Like another big thing that came out of this last few days was the common thread that I see with Bezos and especially Steve Jobs and Richard Branson was like, like just take uh, Steve Jobs, for instance, like the team that developed the Macintosh was like the dream team of like, just like the what they went through to interview these people, like week long interviews, like sleeping, like crazy, crazy stuff. And just like assembling the A players. Now there's different levels of A players, obviously, like most of us aren't going to be able to go get like a marketing person from Apple. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you get the best that you can. And the A players, uh, you know, will hire other A players. So that's what we're working on. A good life is where we've been working on. It's just like re 
moving the bar of expectation. And the other thing you said is like the team that got you to where you are. Yeah. Isn't going to be the team that is like, in fact, if you're in business like 20 years and you have the same team, there's a problem. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, um, Vince Lombardi came into the green Bay Packers when he took over in the fifties and was like, the good news is we're going to win a championship. The bad news is half of you aren't going to be here. Wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, and so what I really got from that was getting the A players, not settling for, yeah, you know, that person, blah, blah, blah. It's like coming to Jesus meeting, man. Like, this is where we're going. This is what's expected. Mm. And, you know, this, we're going pro, we're going, we're going uh, pro bowl, you know, like the best of the best. Um, a players. The other thing was just the marketing piece was we, we try to sell uh, our features, you know, which I think came up at PM grow and some other, you know, times. like we try to sell our features and we try to sell like ma- good marketing, like should almost not even talk about your product to a certain mm-hmm. extent. Mm-hmm. It's all emotional. Like Steve jobs was a master of whipping up emotions mm-hmm. in people. And, um, and uh, he was appealing to identity congruence with identity. I'm buying this because it's an extension of the identity that I want to have. And I want to be in alignment with. Totally. And so he used emotion um, with his customer, but also with his team and internally, like going after Michael Dell and, um, you know, whipping up emotion. And so people bought, like it's proven people don't buy using logic, like they buy using emotions. And they rationalize it with logic after the fact. Totally, totally. And so, um, oh, and then another thing that got, that made me think of you, a quote from Richard Branson, it was something to the effect of, when I had one company, I would meddle in it. (laughs) 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 And he's like, like, so I found the more companies I own, actually, the less I work. Oh my gosh, wow. He's like, the less I work because I I install like exceptional people that can run business. Yeah. And (laughs) like, (laughs) isn't that funny? I was like, that's what was one of the things. I was like, maybe I should start more businesses then because I'm I'm meddling. Well, I'm doing good and I'm meddling. But you are, you're, you're finding other pursuits, man, right? right like right, right. as you're finding other pursuits, it's forcing you to, to upskill. I really like what you said about the A players. Um, so check this out. Like, have you ever found at points in your career or in your life, I have found that there are well-meaning people that have been around me and that really wanted my, that had my best interests in mind that we're a lot more, cons- they're a lot more concerned and focused on me protecting my downside than they were on me reaching my highest and greatest potential. What I mean by that is oftentimes you can get advice along the lines of pursue the safer option, get the degree, um, keep things safe, don't start another venture, etc. And that's because people it's just like human nature is to focus on survival and like propagating the human species. So it's way easier and much more common for me to get advice around like a risk adjusted profile, because the reality is most people don't care if you 10 X your human potential. It's like one, two, like three X is enough. It's like, it's enough. That's what I've run into my career at times. You're like, like, isn't it just like enough? Like, just like, you know, back off. Like it's enough. Why, why do you have to worry about the details? Like why more, why add more value? Like it's enough. It's enough. I don't, if we're talking about what I need to be happy in material possessions, I agree. If we're talking about a framework by which I get 
predicated upon what I give. I don't ever want there to be, it's never enough in terms of how much I want to give and create and build for others. Right. So you don't want there to be a time because you always want to be growing. And I think, yes. Yeah. Growth is part of the human experience. It's, it's part of the journey. So I don't think it's something that should be looked down on. I think a lot of times people give you that advice because it makes them uncomfortable to have someone leading from the front too far. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I don't know that that's just a guess, probably not right in all instances, but, um, did you, did you get a college degree? I did. Yeah. Were you encouraged to do so by your parents? Oh yeah. Would that have been a point of friction? Had you decided? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, it, I would guess that that may have been because that was the, like the safe acceptable option. People oftentimes don't relate to it because they're like, it's going to be this incredibly enriching experience. It's like, it's less for the thing itself. And oftentimes it's more about what it represents and particularly the hedge that it represents against something, you know, having a life that just spirals out of, spirals out of control with no career path. Yeah. And I think it's the times too, but it's interesting. I'm really interested to, to see. There's two things that I have not, that most parents I observe get that I have not gotten yet. And I'm interested to see if I develop these. The first is moving into the area with the best school. Mm. Like I have no desire, no judgment. I just, I don't have like, I almost prefer he go to like a mid-level school, like where he gets like, has to like deal with bullies and shit. Like um, two is I I've had on my to-do list for like ever since he's been born to open up a 529 college plan. And I like can't bring myself to Mm. do it because I really don't care if he goes to like, as long as he is motivated and want like the teardrop would come to my eye if he graduated high school and was like, Hey, I'm going to go to work for this. Like, I'm going to be like, go do it. Go do yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what do you, as a father, like, what about those two things? Do you think about those or are you, where do you fall? I'm interested. Uh, I would say I fall on the side of a push off and enablement and investing as much as I possibly can in my, in my children's, future but more specifically in their capabilities mm-hmm. and in that the capability ultimately is rooted in their character their perspective their belief in themselves so i view that as the fundamental investment and inheritance if you will in terms of higher education i think if you have a compelling use case you want to be a doctor you want to uh be a pilot like there are some various uh, an attorney you need to go to college for those things, but spending four years and a hundred K plus in order to figure it out with no real plan or premise or the belief that the conference of that title and piece of paper is going to make your future. It makes me incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah. The, the belief that if I don't have the certification or the credential, I'm screwed, feels so disenfranchising and and so giving of your agency that that as long as we're not doing that college no college I don't really care but if that's what college represents I I don't want to be a part of that yeah yeah it's interesting man um, I didn't go man I got I got like I don't know I think I did a year dropped out there you go bro <laughs> most most yeah. uh, successful entrepreneurs seem to have done like a semester 
or a year. <laughs> My stepdad was an entrepreneur. And I think back about how instrumental that was. Like the fact that he was in my life and modeled success in entrepreneurship made it this almost, um, I wouldn't say I was dismissive, but I was like, oh yeah, I'll just go be successful and I'll be an entrepreneur. Like yeah. College meant nothing to me. I was like, oh, I'll just, I'll just go be successful, whatever. Yeah. Simply because that was like modeled. If I hadn't had that, I probably would have made a way bigger deal of out of getting a degree and thinking that was like my golden ticket. Yeah. Yeah. Growing up, we had my, my dad gave me like the college bank. We put all the coins in when I was like young. So I was like, I was indoctrinated. <laughs> but man, it was great. And I, I wouldn't trade it. Um, one last thing um, that... Uh, Profit Coach preaches a lot, and I want to give you props for that. Darren also talked about was that the key to greater profits is rarely more clients. It's found through more valuable clients. And all of a sudden, like you know, in our industry, we spend a lot of time like how many doors, how many doors, and even with uh, our financial breakdown, some of the more profitable ones didn't have the most doors. Yeah, and. Uh, and so looking at the revenue, like you and Danny always talk about, you know, you can solve for, you can VA all day and cut expenses, but if you don't have the revenue, the other thing that comes up for me that we've been really working on is um, the type of the client. Are they um, a pain in the ass? Are they like going to just suck a bunch of your time and your mm-hmm. payroll? That's your cost of goods sold is your, your, mm-hmm. is your time. And that's mm-hmm. your headspace of your employees. And mm-hmm. so... I'm really proud. Adam, my BDM has been telling me the last couple months, he's like, man, we've turned down like more people than we brought on this year. Uh, not this year, like last couple months. And that's not necessarily like they're saying, Oh, hire me or let me hire you. And we're saying no, but just like, you know, some, sometimes that sometimes, yeah. just, you know, not making it happen, et cetera. But, but yeah, man, the right types of clients. So a really, really, you know, less the right types of clients at the right mark uh, at the right fees. Uh, with the right services, you know, it's the profitability. I like that. Yeah. The frustration component, I, obviously that resonates for us as owners. I don't want to deal with, I don't want to be frustrated or associate work with frustration. Right. And there's not a ton of things that are frustrating me at any given time. It's a pretty small list. So if I can remove that same component for my team members, that's huge. I, I find this recurring fallacy from some entrepreneurs being the idea that everybody is money motivated or everybody should be money motivated, like dollar in, dollar out. Right. If people pay more, they're going to work harder, that sort of thing. I find that to be very indulgent because if I really think about it, I'm not money motivated. Yeah. I don't, I don't even, what, what do you say to an aspiring entrepreneur that's like, Steve, I see what you're doing. Like, it's so impressive. I'm thinking about getting in business. What is your advice to that person? <laughs> has, that, has that come up? Do you ever ever have people like ask you, you know, say that they're thinking about starting their own thing and ask you what, what your advice is? Yeah, man. Um, sometimes I'd say, um, man, I'm not that cool, but I'll give you what I got. <laughs> no, but the, um, the decision to become an entrepreneur or not, like how would you tell somebody to self-identify or self-select if that's for them? Yeah, I would say, you know, the safest option is to become an entrepreneur. Whether you have what it takes is a, is a different story. You know, like the safest option is not working your way up a corporate ladder. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I mean, if you want to, if you're, a lot of people's passions lie outside of the business world. They, I, I go down to the beach every morning 
these surfers are hitting the waves every day. The same ones, like uh, they're so awesome. I like want to interview, like, how do you surf every day? Like, it's incredible. (laughs) And, uh, they're probably like, how do you go to the beach every day? But, um, (laughs) but, uh, but if your passions lay outside of business and you'd want to work at home Depot and get your check and go do like your climbing or your hiking, that's man. I wish I had that. Uh, That's awesome. I love that. But, um, or I don't yeah, wish but, I had that, but. I mean, you do have massive interests outside of business. That's like yeah, really yeah, inspiring but, to me about you. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you. But, um, but yeah, I would just say if uh, the safe way is to be the entrepreneur, but you've got to have a fire in your belly and, and you've got to find something that, um, you know, that gets you out of bed in the morning and doesn't, you don't have to drag yourself out of bed, you know, and that's totally. tough to find. Dude, I'm so with you on that. I've been on this uh, trip lately, just kind of thinking about how I don't want the paycheck that I hand somebody to represent a bribe and the justification by which they accept that they couldn't do what they really wanted to do, but at least they're getting the amount of money that I'm paying them. Right. Well, people come to work for you, I would assume a lot because it's a training ground too. And they want to learn from you. And they learn um, in the business too. So they may have aspirations to one day do their own thing. And I encourage my people. I'm like, hey, I got one guy on the team now that's straight up told me when I hired him, he wants to start his own property management company. And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm help you out. However, uh, because you got to be for your people. And uh, one of the things that Darren went over was, uh, and we've heard it before, it's just uh, after people get enough money to be comfortable and like live a baseline more money is not motivating totally praise and recognition is motivated totally in front of peers yes so that's why you know i try to be you know forthright in my praise to my team and um you know, give uh, praise when it's due and not overlook great work, you know? Exactly. And give, give good work, give meaningful projects, like praise for some little BS thing people are going to know. I feel like a good, a good team member can intuit the inherent value and what they have been tasked to work with. I agree. Well, I think that's a good, uh, good spot to close. Anything else before we jump, brother? Man, my advice to the aspiring entrepreneur is don't do it. <laughs> don't do it <laughs> on different sides. i'm excited let's get this conversation next time all right man all right brother thanks adios did you enjoy this episode please share it with a friend and leave a review on itunes if you'd like to find out more about joining the tribe go to tribemastermind.com to understand why the best and brightest mastermind with us